0: Our gaze needs to be heavenward. Our gaze must be eternal. It's just too easy to try to be pleased here and now.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message... Here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come
0: before you, and Lord, we, we simply set aside this time. It's, it's actually not even our time. It's your time. We own nothing. Our schedules, our employment, the homes, the cars, a retirement, whatever it might be, God, we own nothing. It's all yours. And so, Father, we set aside your time this morning to intentionally block out everything. Just block it out. God, that I pray that you will work in this place. I, I pray you'll grab a hold of our hearts. I, I pray that you'll stir I pray that we'll hear a word from heaven today, God. Would you move in this place like never before is my request. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth right now. Give us soft, tender hearts. The soft hearts that want You and nothing else, O God. O Father, we commit this time to You. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen take your Bible, turn with me if you would to 1 Peter chapter 5. We've made it to chapter 5. And I pray that you've been greatly encouraged, both challenged and inspired through this study of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, a reading from the ESV this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, as we look at the title of leading while suffering a leading while suffering it's interesting when you study this text that all of us can identify with suffering and it's very intriguing that as in four chapters that we've seen that peter through the power of the holy spirit is imploring these words and over and over in four chapters, we saw this common theme of suffering, suffering for the gospel, suffering for righteousness, suffering for obedience, suffering for holiness. On and on, we saw this through four chapters, and now all of a sudden, he, he pivots slightly and he addresses a particular group of people. First, it was the believers in four chapters, and he's saying, look, don't lose heart. I know you're discouraged. I know you're getting lambasted on every side, and he's saying, whatever you do, don't quit. And then here in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says these words. Follow along with me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And all God's people said... Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, it's going to be good, amen? Amen you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I know what some of you are probably thinking. You're probably thinking, well, I'm not an elder, so I can just check out, which I would encourage you not to because here's why. We can take these principles that Peter is speaking to the church there, specifically to the elders of the church, and these principles can be applied to lay people as well. You know, it's interesting when you look at this, and I want you to make a couple notes here. We're not going to get real deep into elder qualifications, at least in this particular message, but somewhere on your sheet of paper, I want you to write down in the margin, write down just 1 Timothy, uh, write down Titus, and then we have the other reference here in 1 Peter. Now, I'm not going to give you the addresses in Titus and in 1 Timothy, because I want you to dig on your own which is a real challenge, you go to Google, amen? And there you have it. It's that simple. But I want you to dig in there to see the qualifications as we talk about this ever important office in the church. We have two offices in the church from Scripture. Uh, One is the office of the deacons, uh, the servers, the waiters, and then you have the elders. And so often this unfortunately gets ignored. It gets missed. But anything that God ordains and sets up is for the health of the church. And when he sets up this office of elders, plural, it's there for a reason. And so here he is out of the gate. He's, he's sharing these thoughts. Peter is. And he says this very interesting phrase in the ESV. He says this as you look at that in your Bible. He says, so what? What? so I exhort. Now, this is interesting. Walk with me on this for just a moment, okay? Rhetorical question, do you typically go encourage someone who's already encouraged? I guess you could, right? It wouldn't be a bad thing to do that. But a lot of times what we do is we go encourage someone that we know perhaps is discouraged. We encourage someone that's going through a difficult time, Uh, you're going through suffering, you're going through pain. you got to remember that when Scripture was originally written, there weren't chapters and verses. It's a flowing thought here. So you think about what we just read. We just read, go in your Bible for a moment. Flip back for just a second here. Let's read this together. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, 17 and 19 from last week. And you're going to see the connection here. You're going to see the dots and the puzzle connecting together. And here it is, 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19. For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, in light of what was just said in those verses, let do, let those who suffer according to what? God's will. What? Yes, God's will. Entrust. It's a safety deposit, if you will, of their souls to a faithful creator, capital C, God himself, while doing good. Here's what we have. Peter's writing, he's saying, look, for the true church of Jesus Christ, there is going to be pruning and chastening that goes on, the judgment, the cleansing, if you will, in the house of the Lord. And it happens. It's part of the process to make the church His bride pure. Jesus is coming back for His bride, His church, amen? And He's coming back for true believers Not just church attenders. He's coming back for true believers in Christ that say, look, I want to give my life to Christ. I no longer want to be on this hamster wheel. that's going nowhere. I'm living for myself. I'm living in the world. I, I get a high here and a high there, so to speak, from whatever life brings, but I always come crashing down one time after another, and here we learn from Scripture, and you know it, the true believer in the room today, that Jesus Christ is the only thing that will satisfy your heart, period. but they're still suffering. See, I think it's this misnomer, especially in the American church, right, that you profess Christ, you go out for lunch, and man, you're just like on a cloud playing the harp, singing kumbaya the rest of your life, amen? And for you that are truly walking the road for Christ, you know that's not the narrative. The road's hard. It's difficult. Matter of fact, we know this, the road's narrow, we know this, that only few find it, but we know this church confidently that those who are on the narrow way, for those that find the narrow path, through only the way, Jesus himself, and by the way, there's no other way you can be saved. There's only one way you can be saved, and it's through the royal righteous blood of King Jesus. You either give your life to him and get saved, or you don't really give your life to him and you don't get saved. There's nothing in between. And that road, when you give your life to Christ, is going to be hard. And he's saying to now these elders, the presbyteros. Elders in this context means this, pastors, elders. uh, You could even say bishops. Bishops. It's interesting that now on the back end of four chapters of suffering, 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 don't lose heart, don't lose heart, don't lose heart, don't lose heart, difficulty, 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 he now goes to the elders, the pastors, and says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to call you to something that's bigger than you. The pastorate, an elder, is a noble calling. It's a calling that is difficult. It's a, a calling that consumes in a healthy way, but also can consume in a negative way. It's a calling that as God places that on a man, and we'll see that as we study this concept here in the coming weeks, it's a calling that, that God ordains. He says here that I exhort you. He encourages. As a fellow elder, he's a witness. Look in your Bible for just a second there in verse 1 of chapter 5 now. He's a fellow elder. He's, he's saying, look to the other elders. I'm in this with you. See, that's one of the importance of pastoral eldership, elders plural. And you see the plurality all through the New Testament. There's multiple reasons for that. But but one is when they're like-minded, when those men are like-minded, they're pursuing holiness and righteousness and obedience and the glory of God and discipleship. And they're focused on what really matters and no longer looking at what doesn't really matter, but they're just focused on those things. Man, as one person said earlier this morning, when we begin to focus on those type of things, we, we mourn over our sin. Uh, we're, we're poor in spirit. We're contrite in spirit. We, we live a life in that vein. When we do that, we can experience, church, not just a revival, not just a reformation. I believe we can experience, as was said this morning, a revolution. And God's calling men that focus on what matters. It's just too easy to get caught in the weeds. Courageous men, bold men, but yet loving men, graceful men that will share the tender mercies of our great God. That's why key number one, I want you to write this down, key number one in your notes. Being an elder, and again when I say elder, pastor, and again it's in the plural here, is to be united in one mind in the truth of God's word with other elders as they encourage each other and the church to deny self and advance the mission of the gospel. Let me read that again. Key number one, write it down. Being an elder pastor is to be united in one mind in the truth of God's word with other elders as they encourage each other and the church to deny self and advance the mission of the gospel. Why do you think, any thoughts here, again rhetorical, we might be here a while if we pass around the microphone, but any thoughts on why Peter says this phrase in verse 1, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ? What do you think there? I mean, why would he add that in there? Obviously, the short answer is the illumination of the Holy Spirit, but uh, here, here's my thought on this. What has he been talking about for four chapters? Suffering. So he is imploring the leaders. He said, look, leaders, you're in the midst of the struggle. You're in the midst of the Suffering. Leaders lead in the midst of struggle. That's what leaders do. They they lead. There's clarity. there's, There's vision. And when all else is unraveling and seeming, you just stay dialed into the mission. Dads, as you pastor your homes, same application. Single moms, as you lead your homes, same application. Did you see how these principles Work whether you're a pastor, elder, or not, that they, they work. And here he is, and he's saying, Look, you've suffered, Christ suffered. And when we look to Christ, and when I look to Christ, I look at his suffering, my suffering pales in comparison. When I look what Christ went through on that cross, that he he gave his life, that he went through the scourging and the beatings prior to that, as he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's just, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, these sweating drops of blood. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not what I will, but but what you will, O God, I believe Peter's bringing that to mind, saying, hey, I, I, was, I was there, and Christ is there with you. The thought occurred to me as I was processing that this past week. Burke Parsons, uh, the pastor that followed R.C. Sproul, said it like this, He said, don't believe everything you feel. Our emotions are the greatest liars we know. Preach the truth to your emotions, and the truth will begin to change your emotions by the power of the Holy Spirit, end quote. Wow. See, as we we battle in suffering, as we battle in the difficult days, and and we were warned this would happen. You stand for truth, and and people aren't going to like, you know, you know, shout your name in a good way. They're not gonna wave at you in a good way, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, this is part of it. I mean, when you stand for Jesus in a Christ less culture that we live in, this is the response. But we also have a response. And if we know the call is the call, whether it's to a pastor, elder, to a layperson, or the combination of those, we stay dialed into the mission. Just because things get hard doesn't mean you look for an exit ramp. Many times when things get hard, that's God's affirmation at times where, hey, just keep pressing on. Just keep pressing on. I mean, you're, you're doing the right things. Just, just keep pressing on. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep pressing on. And I believe that's what Peter is imploring here to these fellow elders, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says it like this, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5:11. How about Hebrews chapter 10, write that down, 23 through 25. Hebrews 10:23 through 25 says it like this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you believe that today, can you say amen? Let me read that one more time. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what, church? Faithful. And let us consider how to stir up. It means literally to provoke. And let us consider. Remember, let us means do this. Do this. Consider how to provoke one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Wow. That phrase right there rings true, doesn't it? In 2022, when the, right now, the latest data says this, that a person who attends church once a month considers themselves a regular church attender, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch the first part of that in verse 23? Let us, I love this, let us hold fast, tether to, rivet to, weld to the confession of our hope. We don't waffle and bend based on what's going on around us. We tether to the hope that's in Jesus Christ. And as you tether to that, and you won't bend and you won't buckle, that when the furnace gets turned up, when the heat gets turned up, the heat always reveals what's true. And for those that are truly in Christ, they've given their life to Christ, when, not if, when the heat of life begins to turn up and it begins to melt, if you will, we see so clearly from God's Word That for those who persevere, for those who stay the course, for those who dial in and say the mission is the mission, we exist at this church to give glory to God, to be disciples of Jesus, that make disciples of Jesus, we're not bending, we're not buckling, we're not breaking under that. We're pressing on, amen? And he's imploring those elders to do the same. How about verse 2? Peter gives specific instruction, self-examination for these pastors' elders. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shepherd. What do you think of, what do you think about a shepherd in a field? You might think of David, right? Anyone ever been a shepherd, an actual shepherd, out of curiosity? Any shepherds in the room today? No shepherds? Okay. Not a big thing here on Chester, I guess. Shepherds? Okay. So what do you think that a shepherd typically does around sheep? What would be two primary things you could narrow it down to? Well, it keeps them out of trouble. That's a a good point. That's That's a fair point, actually. I would say this, in addition to that, which is true, there's a guidance, very true. Uh, There is at times a discipline. But really two that are primary would be feeding the sheep and protecting the sheep, which could be to that point of keeping them out of trouble. Question for you, if you're a shepherd and no one is in the room, which really shocks me, If you're a shepherd, what do you do? Go get some Twizzlers, Twinkies, chocolate chip cookies, amen? And for you that are really good shepherds, you pull back that Bostick adhesive, right? On that Oreo container. Praise Jesus, amen? Is that what you feed the sheep? Of course you don't. You feed them what they need, not what they necessarily want. But we live in a culture today where spiritually you can go get a bunch of Twinkies, amen? And there's a whole bunch of Twizzlers out there, and the happy, and the sappy, and the flappy. But I'm telling you this there is a reason why at this church, we give you the Word of God. And the reason is this, after doing this for years, there is nothing that will transform your heart like the Word of God will. I get it. It's not popular. You can't be popular and holy. You can't be a popular person and trying to really follow God and run hard after Him. You're not going to be popular if you pursue prayer. But as an elder pastor, God has called me not to be popular. He's called me to be faithful. And as we press into that thought, I pray that we think on this thought in key number two that being an elder is about guiding people to live a life that gives God glory and be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. Anyone ever heard that thought before? An elder must accept the call of God joyfully. But he must guard his heart, his own heart, against the enemy of self and impure motives. Let me read verse 2 again of 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So there's a feeding, there's a protecting of the sheep. There's a feeding of, of a healthy, nourishing diet of God's Word. That when Monday morning hits, that that the Twinkies, the spiritual Twinkies won't satisfy? We've all been there. We've eaten that pack of Oreos, and they were good going down. Praise Jesus, amen? But man, how'd you feel afterwards? Pretty crummy, right? That's what I believe so many people, through not being spiritually discerning, are after the spiritual Oreos. And they don't even realize it because there's such blindness that they're being fed things that aren't nourishing to the soul. The elders, the pastors, are to feed and protect and protect against the wolves. There are wolves, the real. And as was once said, when the wolf gets in the sheep's pen, who decides what's for lunch? There's a gardening, a protecting. A faithfulness, a fidelity, a, a desire to, to love the bride, to love people. And that's what Peter's getting at here in the midst of the suffering. And for you that are leading your homes, that dad, that single mom, he's calling you to the same thing, that you, that you feed, you nourish your children. The church, it comes along on the back end. If parents are expecting the church to straighten out children, it typically never happens. It's a Monday through Saturday diet of the Word of God, of feasting on the Word of God, of fervent prayer, of getting into the Word and and being nourished and fed and, and strengthened through the Word of God. That's how you develop a family that loves Jesus. I was thinking of this thought from Psalm 139. Write this down. Because who gets blinded the most to the truth in our own lives? As I asked myself that question, and I did this past week, John, who who gets blinded the most, John, in your own life? I do. And Psalm 139 is just a great, great two-verse section, 23 through 24. This is the psalmist crying out two great self-examining verses in all of Scripture. ESV reads it like this, search me, O God, search me, and know my heart Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Well, it's easy to pray that verse over other people, isn't it, <laughs> Lord? I you need to search that person and search that person, and man, you really need to search that person. My goodness, Lord, if you can somehow break through that one, you're going to work overtime. But if we all, if I, if you, if we just simply draw the circle around ourselves and we say, God, will you bring the revolution to the person in the circle, me? Imagine what happened here in our context. If, if every one of us today just drew a circle around ourselves and said, God, man, search me, oh God. Try me, oh God. Know my heart, oh God. See if there's any wicked way in me, oh God. Can you imagine the revolution that would break out? And that's what pastors and elders are called to. That we would not under compulsion exercise this oversight, not by constraint, that we voluntarily do it, not for shameful gain, not for financial gain, not for self-promotion, not to build your brand. That's the big thing, right? Let's build our brands. That's just utter wickedness. The only brand I want to build is the brand of Jesus. And then we got this culture that just pumps fuel and dumps gas on the fire, that it's all about you and your glory and your praise. When the Bible screams, it just screams to me, because I I read so often what goes on, you know, self this and self that and over here self and more self here. And the Bible screams, go deny yourself, John. Matter of fact, one person said it like this. They said, Jesus doesn't put self in front of identity. He puts it in front of denial. Oh, us, me, pastors, elders, all over this country and world today must be those shepherds that are willing to do the hard things. And that's why in verse 3 it goes on and says this as Peter implores them even deeper. He says, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. But this could be a tough one here because domineering means this, literally not lording over, not dominating. So if Peter says don't do this, we could assume that this is possible. And it's a tricky one because Think about this for just a moment. I want you to think about something. If you go back for just a moment to verse 2, just look in your Bible there, when it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You know, how do you look after someone who really doesn't want to be spiritually looked after? It's interesting. You know, the church is such a precious possession of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and yet the reality is this, that it's harder to get a gym membership than it is to get a church membership, because the bar is just so low, and the Bible's bar is so high. I was processing that on that third point there about not domineering and thinking through that, and it just struck me when I wrote this down. And key number three, being an elder is not about power nor control, but about imitating Christ and humbly leading by example. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. There it is, a pattern, imitation, followed after selfless care to the flock. See, one of the challenges that I've learned over the years is this, is that if you want to find out who a man or a woman really is, just give them a title. You know, we all have insecurities, don't we? We all have wounds. Uh, Some go back to childhood. Uh, Some, perhaps in this room, have had great trauma. And if that's you, my heart breaks for you. But I've learned this in my own brokenness. Even though victimology is the flavor of the day, I have a choice on how I will respond to anything negative that's come into my life. Now, I don't always respond as I should, but I have a choice. See, the question as I talk to myself and let you listen in on this little conversation I'm having with myself right now would be this. Am I going to choose to be a victim or be a victor? One of the greatest pains that we go through in our lives, and I've done this for about 20 years now in men's ministry, is what we call father wounds. Uh, Whether we like it or not, it's real. It's real. I've certainly done some things, said some things uh, to my own children that have been very regrettable and painful. Praise God for His grace and mercy, amen. I'm sure some of us could identify with that thought of saying things we wish we wouldn't have. But perhaps it's been inflicted on you. And here's my encouragement to you. And especially in the context of elders, pastors, if we attempt to manage those wounds, those wounds will manage us. And I've seen over the years, going back to this concept of pastors and elders and men that have never dealt with father wounds. And what it does, it creates an insecurity and a pridefulness that seeks control. Right here, Peter says, don't seek control. Don't domineer. Because often those that seek control, their lives are actually out of control. So my encouragement, if you're here today, and perhaps that's part of your narrative, male or female, just talking here plainly, there's something called grace. God's redemption at Christ's expense. Give grace to those that have harmed us and do so in a manner and be as excited as we receive the grace of the Lord from Himself. Amen. Because too many people, and in this context, too many men, pastors, elders that I've been associated with over the years are living in a self-imposed prison. They're looking for their their hope and their identity and their security. They're looking for just who they are. They're still trying to figure it out. Because as a child, there was a, a wound there that never got dealt with. And so my encouragement is to find healing in Christ. Christ can take your wounds today, and He can totally totally just bring them to restoration reconciliation even if it's just in your own heart with him he can restore those things jesus doesn't put band-aids on things he brings health he brings life he brings vitality to that person that is struggling so deeply and here we see in this context that peter says pastors elders don't domineer First Timothy chapter 1 says it like this, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. There it is. Set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Matthew chapter 20 says it like this, 25 through 28, But Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're domineering. And the great ones exercise authority over them. Hmm. Interesting thought there from Matthew and now Peter. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be what first among you must be your slave, your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Just think about that. Key number three, being an elder pastor is not about power nor control, but imitating Christ and humbly leading by example. And that's what humility is. It's strength under control. Now, the Bible says in James to be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak. That applies to Everyone that we listen. Just because someone is quiet and is listening, don't mistake that for weakness. And just because someone is constantly dominating the conversation, don't always take that to be strength. This is what God has called us to by His Holy Word. Lastly, here it is, verse 4. He reminds the pastor's elders here of this suffering and Whatever they're dealing with, the slander, the pushback, the undermining, the fiery darts, maybe all the above, it will be worth it all. And here's what he says. He says, and when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd? Do we know? Jesus. Remember, we've taught you this, that probably nine times out of ten, just say Jesus and you're probably right. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Any idea how many crowns there are in the New Testament? Any idea? Question? You could answer out loud if you want to any idea well we look through it here you see five you see five crowns that are just powerful crowns and what's interesting about that that peter has in view here this crown of what i love how he says this this crown of glory It, it literally when you think about this picture an athlete back in that day right now the olympics are going on right they would have their olympics if you will and what would happen, they would stand there on this podium, if you will. We, we get the word beam a seat from this elevated platform that they would stand on to receive the victory, to receive their medals, if you will, their trophies, if you will. And they would really get this, they would receive a garland, right? It looks kind of goofy today, doesn't it? I mean, you got this, basically this Christmas wreath on your head, you know what I'm saying? This looks kind of weird. Well, there would be flowers on there. What, what happens to flowers? Do they last forever? Do they bloom forever? Well, not usually, right? I mean, usually flowers are going to die at some point. Do you see his parallel here? Let me read this one more time. Last verse. And when the chief shepherd, so when Jesus appears, and what a day that's going to be, amen? When King Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading. Like, in other words, this, it won't diminish. It's not going anywhere. It's unfading, the unfading crown of glory. That's why key number four is so important to the pastor elder, but to everyone who truly believes in Christ, giving their life to Christ. Key number four, being an elder is ultimately about focusing on eternal matters and seeking the reward on the other side, not on this side. Let me say that again. Being an elder, a pastor, is ultimately about focusing on eternal matters And seeking the reward on the other side, not on this side. Have you ever heard of this thought called delayed gratification? Any parents in the room this morning? Be a great phrase to add into your repertoire delayed gratification. Well, we live in a chop-chop, right, get-it-done-now, yesterday, microwave, Christianity world, don't we? It's like, come on, God, what are you waiting on? I've already prayed about this for 19 seconds. Why are you holding this thing up? And here we see so clearly there's a, a thought of, to the elder, but again, in you know, that pastor, but, but also to all of us, that our gaze needs to be heavenward, our gaze must be eternal. It's just too easy to try to be pleased here and now. And when we're suffering, going back to this theme that they were going into, and he's exhorting the elders, when we're suffering, what typically do we do? Well, we typically are looking for something to take the edge off, aren't we? Remember, we're suffering, we're going through pressure, we we got stress, we got anxiety, we got difficulty, we've got financial troubles, there's a marital crisis, maybe all the above, and we're looking for something to allow us to escape. And so often I know I've been there. We choose a path that where God is not located. There's an unfading crown of glory for those who stay the course. You just keep staying the course. And maybe that's you here today. Forget for a moment, Pastor Elder. It's just you, and you are in the midst of the battle. You are struggling. You want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. You don't understand why a good God who says he's good and the preacher says he's good, but what you're going through is not good. How could a good God allow this into my life? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. The Bible says this, that our sufferings are momentary, even though I get it. They don't seem like it. And when you're in the battle, when you are in the furnace, there is nothing momentary about it. But they're momentary. And the Bible says they're light. Light? What? Has Paul lost his mind in that writing there in Corinthians? Wait a minute, Paul, what are you talking about? They're momentary in their light. Well, he goes on and says this, they're momentary in light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. And oh, they are, aren't they? Whatever you're dealing with today, whatever the struggle, as the enemy is on your doorstep perhaps, and he's ringing your doorbell over and over and over, his name's Jesus. His name is Jesus. Just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And He's the one. He's the escape. He's the one that will take the edge off. He's the one that will dull the pain and fill the void. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus is just not better. Jesus is best. Amen? And I pray that you and I will be those that follow Him. Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18, For I consider, as I said, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed to us, that is to be revealed to us. Very simple here on this last thought. As you look at that one verse, I consider, I ponder, I gravitate to, I embrace, I don't push away, but I, I bring it close to my side. That the sufferings that you're going through today, that diagnosis, that health diagnosis, that financial crisis, again, the, the marital issues, whatever it is that you're dealing with today, that the sufferings of this present time, right here it is are not worth comparing. It means this in the original, they will not stand the test. So whatever you're dealing with today, whatever is on your horizon right now as you're thinking about it right now, it will not stand the test when it's held up to the glory which shall be revealed. (laughs) And you get a bunch of people not just reading that, but believing it and living it. And the revolution has been set into motion. See, Paul said it like this sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Just think about that for a moment sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Why? Because he goes on in that particular phrase, he says this, yet making many rich is having nothing, yet possessing everything. How do you possess everything when you don't really have anything? You possess everything, even though you have not everything on this earth, because you possess, and he possesses you, and his name is Jesus. Amen. So what do we learn today? What can you implement today? Well, when you think of an office, the office of elder pastor, it's weighty. It's a weighty calling not to be taken lightly. It's a sign up for the fiery darts to pummel you, pummel those you're close to. That's part of it. It just, this is how this thing works. But for us, the believers, the lay people in the fellowship as well, did you know that same principle goes for you. That when you say, I'm all in for Jesus, Satan goes, okay. And the fury of hell is unleashed on the true believer. That's why one of my prayers is my prayers, we continue from this pulpit to feed you the Word of God, not Twinkies, not Twizzlers, not Hershey candy bars. When we feed you the Word of God, just constantly, week in and week out, my prayer is there'll be some point where literally the, the light comes on, that the, the ball begins to flicker, the nourishment to the soul begins to be so deep and, and so catastrophic in a good way. My prayer is that as the Word goes forth in the weeks and the months and the years from this pulpit, But the word of God, I pray that people will begin to stand to their feet. I pray they'll say, that's the Jesus I want. I don't need the sailboat. I don't need the house. I don't need the retirement plan. I want that Jesus. Like That's what I want in my life. And that's why we just cry out even right now. Fight for us, O God. Fight for us. In the midst of this battle, oh God, fight for us and make Your name known throughout Chester and all the world, all for the praise of His glory. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before You. And Lord, as we have studied Your Word together, as we've assembled around Your Word together, Lord, I pray against the darkness. I pray against the schemes of the enemy that perhaps are even working right now. Lord, we pray that you just continue to keep us faithful and obedient in the midst of the struggles. And there's something so sweet about the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the demons flee and tremble at the name of Jesus. So Father, in this moment, maybe there's one here that's never truly given their life to Christ and and they want to follow. They want to be obedient. They want to give their life to the one who will give them life, God. Maybe there's one who's never been baptized as we saw today and what a beautiful picture of the symbol of death and now life. Lord, whatever you want us to do, our lives are not our own. We surrender all to you today. Have your way with us right now, Father. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. To you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.